Father, we thank you for the opportunities you give us during the week. Lord, we lament um, that the, the uh, faux Christianities that are out there uh, of Jehovah's Witnesses and uh, Mormons, um, Roman Catholicism, um, uh, others as well, O oh Lord God, that are, are, have either apostatized from the true gospel in case of Roman Catholicism or in the case of the, the cults, O oh Lord God, um, a twisted um, version of the truth. Um, and uh, I just pray for Emily um, that you would give her wisdom and discernment and uh, be the ability to direct towards the truth of Scripture um, and, and um, what you say about um, Jesus and what you say about the gospel. Uh, I pray that there would be clarity and that the falseness of their belief system would be evident um, and could be uh, the truth could be applied to it. Um, Lord, pray for the uh, fellow I was talking with um, that professes faith, but just is not interested. It seems like uh, there's no, just not spiritual life evident. Uh, I pray that you would please um, uh, grab a hold of his heart and I pray that he would also seek out the local church, that he would hear the gospel. Uh, he wouldn't think he's a Christian just because his family is um, or, or anything like that. Uh, that he, he would pursue you. Lord, we want to pursue you this morning as we think about prayer. Uh, Lord, we confess that um, we're just, in general, not good prayers. Um, we are not very good at it, um, and we need to work at it, and we want to work at it, and we want to grow, and we want to be able to approach you rightly. So we pray that you would give us understanding. We pray that you would make us a praying church, uh, Lord, because you accomplish your will through the means of prayer. And so we want to be uh, those people that are doing that. Bless this time this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so just to kind of bring you up to speed where we've been, um, we have spent the last couple weeks just defining prayer. And so we kind of started with the first prayer in the Bible in Genesis 4.26, which kind of an unexpected uh, place, doesn't give a great deal of elaboration. But what we did learn from that is not all communication with God is considered prayer. So you can think of what Cain or even Adam and Eve did uh, was uh, evidently is not considered prayer. And what we kind of learn is that um, prayer is a, uh, a consequence of the fall. There's this idea of distance. And that holds true even when we look at explicit terminology for prayer in the, in the Bible. The primary Old Testament word group inter indicates intercession, which just the very idea of intercession implies that there's some distance, there's some trouble, there's a problem. Um, and so we've got that. We also have a language that indicates that when prayer is heard, it is heard uh, God hears it in his heavenly temple. So he is in heaven, we are on earth, uh, and yet prayers are likened to incense. You can see that, especially in Re Revelation, uh, that come before him when he hears them. Uh, and then connected with that, we often we talk about how prayer is often directed towards the earthly temple. Um, and that's because the, the earthly temple is kind of a portal uh, between heaven and earth, or at least it's conceptualized in that way. Uh, and so it makes sense that if you're going to pray, uh, uh, not that it's limited to praying towards the temple, but at least in the Old Testament, it was uh, you, you pray that direction. And even in the New Testament, even after Jesus' ascension, you see the early church gathering at the temple during the hours of prayer, um, uh, um, kind of during that transition period. Uh, last week, what we talked about is uh, kind of a, 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 an interesting passage from Isaiah 44:17, which is actually a pagan praying to hit a false god, but it does illustrate kind of the generic, what do prayers sound like? And 
it, it sounds like this, save me for you are my God. And connected with that, we talked about how when we think about praying, we automatically usually think about a request. But if you look biblically, not all, not all the prayers in the Bible have a request in them. Um, sometimes they're just pure praise or thanksgiving. Sometimes they're pure confession. Um, but all of them kind of fit into that schema, save me, that's kind of the request side, for you are my God, which is more the relational and uh, worship side of things. Um, and so we talked and gave examples of confession and lament in the Old Testament. There's one more passage I wanted to take us to to just kind of illustrate what is considered biblical prayer, what can be looped into biblical prayer. And we're going to go to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. Um, now, Jeremiah is, um, he is the prophet during the last few kings of um, the southern kingdom of Judah. And basically his message is, judgment's coming, Babylon's coming, you better give up and not fight uh, because you'll do better if you actually surrender to the ba- uh, Babylonians because this is God's punishment. I mean, that's a summary of a lot of what he's saying. So he's not very popular. Uh, he's not a very good, um, uh, he's not, he doesn't sound, he doesn't sound patriotic, right? Um, but uh, it's true. Now, in Jeremiah 30 through, say, 33 is what's known as kind of the book of consolation. And it's like after all this message of judgment, most of it is, um, there's hope for the future. Right when the Babylonians are at the door, there is, there's the declaration of hope and restoration for the future. So in the midst of this, we get Jeremiah 32. Now, I'll summarize the first half of Jeremiah 32. Actually, we kind of did this a few weeks ago in Matthew, but um, it's connected. But um, Jeremiah 32, the first part, um, God says, hey, your cousin's going to come to you, and he's going to want to say, I want to sell you a field. It's a very bad time to buy real estate when you're under siege and being conquered by a foreign army. And God says, go ahead and buy it. And so, you know, Jeremiah is obedient, and he does. But then in response to that, he has a prayer. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading it um, uh, in verse 16. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to Yahweh, saying, Ah, Lord Yahweh, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay to the guilt of the fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is Yahweh of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourselves as, it is, as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and outstretched arm, and with great terror. And you gave them this land, which they sw- you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. Yet you, O Lord Yahweh, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Now that's his prayer. So let's characterize his prayer a little bit. Uh, what, is, 
what, how is he praying? What's he talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so we saw that last week even, that there's this element of looking back at what God has done, uh, and not only what God has done, but who God is. Um, so that's kind of in the, that's in the praise and thanksgiving um, side of things. You can think of thanksgiving as focused on an action of God. I mean, rule of thumb. Uh, and praise as more like here's who God is. Again, rule of thumb. Well, so we see that in the first, well, most of the prayer. What, like, what's he, what else is there? What's there at the end? A question, right? Um, although it's not explicitly a question, but there's a, definitely an implied question, right? Basically, what's his question? <laughs> yeah, I bought the field. Nothing is impossible for you. Oh, yeah, Brenda. What's the reason? This is a really bad time to buy a field. Like, why are you having me do that? Um, so what do, we, what do we learn from this? Uh, we learn that there is a way of asking God questions in prayer that is reverent and that is right. And that kind of fits in with the other things we've seen. It kind of fits into the realm of lament a little bit, um, where you're expressing that life stinks. But here it's a little bit different. It's like uh, Jeremiah doesn't have the answer. Now, God does get back to him and explain it to him. But for our purposes, I wanted you to see um, prayer, there is a right way to question God in prayer. Uh, Not in a... um, uh, in a reverent way, let's put it that way. Um, and so that's what we see with, with Jeremiah here. Most of it is thanksgiving and praise, and the rest of it is uh, this tacked on to the end, this question, um, which is a good question, and um, given the circumstances. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, Genevieve. Yes. Right. Right. And we'll talk more about that as we think about the posture of when we come to prayer or the, the decorum might be another way of thinking about that. There, the Bible does speak to a decorum when you come to pray. Um, and, um, and part of that is, is, is reverence um, and because of who you're praying to. Right? But nonetheless, what we also see um, in the scriptures, like in, in Lament or even here with Jeremiah, is there's an honesty. Because God knows what's on your heart anyway, but that's an expression of what's going on in your heart um, with reverence and with recognition that I'm praying to God, uh, I don't understand it, I'm going to trust God, um, and I am... Um, I'm deferring to him and what he says. What he says, no matter what, is right. <laughs> um, and so that's part of it, too. Uh, Tony. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think maybe what I hear you saying is, like, he, he recognizes in this prayer God's plan. Like, you brought them out of Egypt. Um, all this disaster has come upon us because we've sinned. 
but you know what's going on. So he's also praying in light of where God is going um, in history. So, okay. Uh, now, having done all this work, I think we're finally ready to go with a definition of prayer. So I had Brenda print up a bunch of little strips of paper um, for economy. I'm gonna have. So all of this work is just to give us, you know, we just never really reflect on what is prayer. And that's kind of what we've done over the last two or so weeks is just think about what is it? Not all communication with God is prayer. Again, you go back to Adam and, Adam and Eve and Cain. They talked to God um, early on in Genesis. But um, calling on the name of the Lord, which is a synonym for praying, doesn't happen until, it is very explicit in Genesis 4.26, it began then. So that leads us with the question, okay, we would say that prayer is communication with God, but what else? What else? And so what is being handed out to you is my stab at um, incorporating all that we've seen. And I would describe it this way. Prayer is reverential communication with God, which acknowledges God as Savior and desires his relational presence, which is distant in a fallen world, prayer typically requests God to act in some way based on who God is, what he does, what he has promised to do, and his relationship with the one praying. Uh, the content of prayer is some mixture of praise, thanksgiving, confession, lament, query, and petition. So if you were to boil it down even more, and I'll, I'll walk through the definition again, but if you were to boil it down, prayer is reverential communication. I think that's what makes uh, Cain and even Adam and Eve's speech to God early on not prayer. If you look at what Cain is saying, he's not, he's not really asking for God to be his savior. He's not really approaching him in a reverential way. Adam and Eve are kind of blame shifting, and it's not that I think that later right, they might approach God and in a, uh, a more reverent way, but at least what we see in Genesis 3 is not good. Um, and even though it's communication with God, um, it doesn't seem to be prayer. And we also kind of said that when you're in very right in God's presence, a face-to-face -face communication, that's a little bit different than what we normally see with prayer. So if you were to boil it down, I think we would say this, prayer is reverential communication with God, but it typically follows that pattern that we saw even um, in Isaiah 44, 17. Save me, for you are my God. And that's where you get the mixture of request, save me, and the relationship and the praise side of things, for you are my God. And so that's where we get all this different kind of content. We can have praise, we can have thanksgiving, we can have confession, we can have lament, we can have query, we can have a question, like we just saw in Jeremiah, and a petition, but it always comes back to your approaching God with reverence, uh, and you're recognizing that relationship, um, and, uh, uh, and following that. So, again, I'll read it again. Prayer is reverential communication with God, which acknowledges God as Savior, and desires his relational presence, which is distant in a fallen world. Prayer typically requests God to act in some way based on who God is, what he does, what he has promised to do, and his relationship with the one praying. The content of prayer is some mixture of praise, thanksgiving, confession, lament, query, and petition. Okay, uh, any thoughts? So again, that's just trying to take what we've already seen in Scripture and kind of encapsulate it in a, a couple sentences. Yeah, Eden. 
Yeah. Yes. Right. Right. In, in this, in this, in this time, right. So, like, if you got, uh, if you got like Jeremiah, or if you've got like um, Jesus and the apostles, or even the, let's say the first century of the early church you've still got God giving revelation directly. Um, and so, in general, what we would say is, yeah, absolutely, there's a two-way communication. God speaks in re a revelatory form, um, and then uh, there's a the proper response, um, because like we've said, the core of prayer is looking at where God is going, and then praying in light of that. So there's that kind of response aspect. So what you're saying is that today, um, a lot of people would say, well, God, God speaks to me. Even he maybe speaks to me or prompts me through the Holy Spirit. Now, I, will, I, I think that there is prompting by the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit takes the scriptures and apply, helps us apply them. But I don't think that's revelation. And, uh, and you know, it, it gets people into a lot of trouble. I was even thinking about this, that, you know, you'll, you'll talk to someone and say, well, I'll go pray about that, whatever it is, whether it's a decision to be made or maybe you're bringing something up to them. Let me go pray about that. And they'll go pray about that, and they'll come back and say, well, I, uh, I, God told me to do this, or I, feel th uh, or I feel God is leading me to do this. And that's problematic because you're getting into the realm of, um, well, why do you think that? Do you think that based on the application of biblical principles, or do you feel like is it is you're just mixing what you would uh, your own personal kind of desires with um, and kind of sanitizing it based on 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 prayer? So we'll talk more about that. But in general, yeah, there's a communication. But in this age, right, um, communication. God speaks to us through His Word. The indwelling Spirit does help us apply that Word to our situation. So that's true. The Holy Spirit's involved. Um, but uh, there's no, like, revelatory communication, which I think is what you're getting at, so. Sure. Right. No, right, exactly. Yeah, and that, and that usually, the person he's speaking to is a prophet, right? Um, they're receiving the words of God, and then they're articulating them, so. Okay. Any other thoughts on this definition of prayer? Um, how does it strike you? How does it shift your thinking about prayer? How does it help? How does it, what do you have questions about? Yeah, Brenda. God's presence is distant in a fallen world. Uh, well, that's how, uh, Yeah. Uh, I mean, you put it that way. So, like, in the Garden of Eden, uh, we get the picture of God immediately, his presence in a, uh, in a unique fullness dwelling with um, Adam and Eve. And then, really, what happens with the fall is an exile, right? An exile from God's presence. 
Um, and uh, even in the early chapters of Genesis, um, really, you could say up through chapter 11, you've got this kind of continual movement away from God. But the whole plot line of Scripture is uh, we want to be back in God's presence. Uh, if you think about the whole sacrificial system, right, and the tabernacle or the temple, it's all about how do we draw near as close as we can in a fallen world to the, manifest, the concentrated manifestation of God's presence on earth in the Holy of Holies. What's that? Yeah. No, because of what Revelation says at the very end, right? How does it end? His servants will see his face. And, and so what that is articulating, I believe, is that we've, so you're absolutely right. We have an approach to God's presence that is fuller than the, any Old Testament saint um, probably with some asterisks on that, um, uh, you know, the, the, but a fuller, a fuller approach, a, a fuller closeness with the Holy Spirit, right, indwelling us. Um, especially, and we go back to the temple motif, right, uh, as we gather as a local temple. But you think about it in terms of all these themes kind of go together. The temple, uh, God's kingdom, is God's kingdom here? No, not yet. There is a manifestation of it uh, in the local church um, and in, you know, kind of the collection of churches scattered abroad. But what we're really waiting for is a full, final return to even. Even in, in Romans 8, right, uh, you see that tension of uh, God has, uh, like, signed the adoption papers, but we haven't experienced the fullness of adoption yet. We're not all the way there. And so that's kind of how I, I think we need to think, is that, yes, there is, with the new covenant, there is a progression. There is a uh, closer, there's more, there's more closeness, but we're not all the way there. Um, and so even now, as we pray, Jesus tells us, you know, pray, your kingdom come. He, he, we still have that longing uh, that we're not home yet. Um, and so that's, that's part of it. And when we are in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, prayer is over. Because now it's direct face-to-face -face communication, um, as it was. Does that help? Yeah, okay. Any other questions on that? That's a very, we need to make sure we understand that. Yeah, Tony. Um, except that, except that we still have a flesh, right? We still have a, 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 a yes, 
Well, it, no, it's, it's a good tension that you're experiencing, right? Um, a lot of theologians would frame it this way, is the already and the not yet. There are ways that we do experience God's presence in a very special and particular way. But we cannot, we cannot say that we're fully there yet. Um, and so even now as I pray, there is longing for God's presence. Um, you know, again, you, I, th- I think the pictorial representation of the temple and the tabernacle really helps, right? So if you're, you're, and again, we understand that we have the indwelling presence of the Spirit, so it's different, but it's still that reality that, like, as an average person, you're approaching the temple, and you want to be as close as you can to God's presence, and you're going there, the sacrifices have been made, and you're praying, and you're praying towards God's presence, um, because you want him to be here. Well, now it's different in this age. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and we have the local church to go to, and we are closer. Um, and God, you're right, God has made every provision in the long run. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Until until the, the, the new heavens and the new earth, until Revelation 21 and 22, where we see face-to-face and there is a renewal of Eden and better um, in enjoying his presence. Um, and that's, that, that, that longing is part of what forms kind of the base of, of prayer, right? Is our, our prayers, um, remember we kind of have said this, the core of prayer is calling on God to do what he's, promise to do, right? So you can see that throughout Scripture. Not that there's not other prayers besides that, but that's kind of the the foundational core of prayer. God has promised to do things. In particular, he has promised to bring things all the way back around to the new heavens and the new earth, which is what we want. We want to be, that's what we're designed for, is to be in God's presence and to bask in his glory. Um, And so prayer is calling on God, may your, let Father, may your kingdom come. I want that. Want that with everything I am because I know that that's when I'm going to be fulfilled and satisfied in God's, uh, in God's presence because of what, you know, Jesus has done. So, yes, Bruce had his hand up first and let's come back to you. Yeah. There's still problems there, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Right. Which would be a weird 
Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it's a good question. Probably one we can't get into all like the the back and forth and consideration of like just wrestling with that. I would just say that um, there's no doubt that there are experiences in our life where, um, I mean, we can look to our experiences. What we always have to come back to, though, is what interprets our experiences is the scriptures, right? So does God work through providential means and even, like I said, there is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, and what does the Spirit do? The Spirit takes the truths of Scripture, uh, the principles of Scripture, um, and even draws our attention to them, illuminates our minds so that we understand them, and then uh, leads us to apply them in certain circumstances. So um, let's just say that that experience happened again. Well, I feel this, um, I don't know why, but I feel this, uh, you know, in, uh, pressure to go to the school doesn't make much sense. Well, I think the, you know, ideally the response would be, okay, well, let me think about both situations. Let me consider what the scriptures have to say. Let me consider what principles are in play. Um, there is a reality in decision-making where you, uh, if there's not a sinful choice, then you do what you want to do, right? Dependent on the Spirit to lead through those. We do know it's true from Proverbs that man directs his way and the Lord directs his steps, right? So um, I just, I just be very cautious of, uh, uh, and I can look back in my own life and see, okay, uh, that's not the direction I would have chosen, but I you know, for whatever reason, my desires and my inclinations and the consideration of the situations came together, and I was like, well, okay, I guess I should go that direction, and we'll see what God's going to do. Um, what we want to be very careful of is automatically saying that was God speaking, because then you can't even talk to someone who says that, right? I don't know if you've talked to people. It's like, God told me to do this. You can't even have a conversation. There's no reasoning with someone, because it's like, well, God told me to do that. Um, I don't, uh, I mean, but what you're doing, you know, in certain circumstances, I'm not saying yours, violates other principles of wisdom or other scripture. So we always have to take our experience and interpret it through that lens. Um, yeah, Julie. I guess my point is, like, if you were to, 
you know, have like, this is just odd. I feel unsettled or I feel like this pressure to do, you know, like, or just that, you know, internal, you know, kind of pressure that we're talking about. The first thing you should do is, well, okay, what does the scripture have to say about the situation? And what, let me, uh, let me pray about it. Obviously we want to do that. Um, and then you seek counsel from those around you and say, this is what I'm thinking, you, you know, so it's kind of, it's just that you want to be very, very, you, you don't want to just launch off of a gut feeling. Um, like, and that's what sometimes that boils down to. So anyway, let's go ahead, um, and come back to, um, so we've got this definition of prayer. I want to ask a couple more questions before we, we move on, which we'll probably do next week, but as we have looked at just a few prayers, and we'll do more in coming weeks in the scriptures, um, what is the scope of those prayers? Or in other words, what, what, what do they usually have in them? I mean, we've talked about in general terms about praise and thanksgiving and confession, but what, maybe the question is this, what, what, what are they praying for? Yeah, Susan. Right, so what you're, you're saying is, and that's, you're getting at exactly what I was trying to ask. Like, when you look at the prayers of Scripture, the scope and the direction of them is very profound. Um, not just because, like, oh, they've got highfalutin language or something like that, but because of this reality that we keep kind of bringing up, they see where God is going, and the prayers respond to that. The concerns of prayer, it's not, don't misunderstand me, it is not wrong to ask for healing. We see that in the scripture. We even ask, we see King Hezekiah do it for himself. Um, but uh, in general, what people are preoccupied with in prayer is where is God going in history? What are the promises that he has made? And how can I pray for myself and for the community I'm around to go that direction? Along with what, what um, the idea of adoration and praise, a God-centeredness. Uh, if you go back to Jeremiah 32, right? He is, um, most of that prayer up through, uh, like, 16 through 24 is all recounting, here's who you are, God, here's what you've done, we see that, we are sinners and then the very last verse is where he actually gets around to asking an implied question, right? And um, so I just, I feel that for myself. Um, and I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but that uh, I think we need, a, we have a long way to go to grow in prayer, which is why we're doing this, right? We're trying to uh, think about what is prayer and how do we do it better? Um, because, and we'll talk about this more next week, 
um, God moves his plan forward through prayer. Doesn't need to, but he chooses to. Um, and so if we, we, you know, we pray, um, we, we, wanna, uh, we pray, and we pray with the, the, in a way that God would be pleased with, um, and God answers, um, well, why wouldn't we want to pray uh, with a bigger scope than we, normally, than we normally do? So we'll start talking about that a little bit more next week. Now, as we normally do, let's practice. Um, so here are two prayers that I want a couple people to volunteer, a guy and a gal, to, um, to pray for. Um, let's pray for this. Pray that our content and scope of prayer would match what we see in the scriptures, both individually and corporately. Pray that our content and scope of our prayers would match what we see in scripture. And then um, here's another thing to pray for. Um, and we'll talk about this more next week, but pray that we would pray expecting God to hear an answer. Pray that we would pray expecting God to hear an answer.